Have you ever been told that you need to look different or speak different or be more confident or maybe even less confident? Or maybe you're the person who said that to someone else. On today's episode, how to enhance your executive presence. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 272. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And if you're just listening for the first time, welcome. Today, a conversation that uh, is one if you haven't had previously, you probably will at some point in your leadership career, and that is on executive presence. And it is one of those conversations that a lot of us, when we get feedback on executive presence, or maybe though that word isn't even used or that term used, but we get feedback on something we need to do differently and how we show up in the workplace and professionally. And a lot of times we don't know what to do. And today's guest is going to really provide some great perspective for us on exactly what to do, or at least the starting points, when we're trying to improve our executive presence. And I'm really glad to be able to welcome Muriel Minya Wilkins to the show. She is the managing partner and co-founder of Paravis Partners. She is also the co-author with Amy Sue of Own the Room, Discover Your Signature Voice to Master Your Leadership Presence from Harvard Business Press. Muriel specializes in working with C-suite and senior level executives in the areas of onboarding, executive presence, role transitions, and relationship management. And she's uh, going to be talking with us on executive presence. Muriel, I'm so glad to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Dave. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I couldn't help but notice as I was reading through your book that um, you've received feedback on executive presence before, as has your co-author, Amy. And uh, it was interesting that Amy was told by a manager at one point to go get her Harvard MBA in order to toughen her up. And uh, you received uh, actually some different feedback. You were told earlier in your career to tone it down. <laughs> so absolutely, I, I'm wondering, what did you both learn from getting that feedback? And, 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 and how did you navigate it at that point in your careers? Sure. I, I, well, I got to tell you, re- receiving that type of feedback is never easy. For Amy, I will say I am grateful that her manager told her to go to Harvard Business School because we would have never met if she had not attended the ah, school as we were yeah. classmates there. And 25 years later, here we are working on the topic that uh, made a difference for us in our careers along the way. You know, for me, it was not so hard to get that feedback because, quite frankly, I think I ignored it for quite a long period of time before I started paying attention to the impact that I was having on others and what my presence meant um, and recognizing that I had to adapt my presence and develop it in a way that really exuded leadership now that I was in a leadership role. Ah, interesting. So you didn't do much with that feedback the first time you heard it. And that's what what was the the point where you did do something with it or realize that that feedback was helpful or valuable in some way? 
Yeah, I didn't do much with it because, quite frankly, it had served me well. I'd been, and this is not to sound cocky or anything, but at the point as I was receiving that feedback, it was a bit of icing on the cake feedback. Everything else was going great. I was getting the promotions. I was doing really well. So it didn't seem like I really should change the formula for success in any way. And it wasn't until I started uh, working in more executive level positions and, and held bigger leadership roles within uh, the company that I was in, that it became a pain point in terms of my interactions with others, particularly as I had to influence without authority. And what did that mean in terms of the results that I was getting? And quite frankly, what really made me face it is that I, uh, after having heard the feedback for quite a number of years, uh, I went home one evening and was complaining to my then fiance, now husband, about how frustrating everybody else was. And he said to me, you know, did you ever think for a second that maybe the issue is with you and not with everyone else? Mm. And I still married him. (laughs) (laughs) But a couple of days later, it did cause me to pause. And I realized that what he was trying to tell me is focus on the things that are in your control rather than trying to control how people respond to you or what they might be doing differently. And that's really what led me to this path of trying to understand the feedback further and really caring about the impact that I was having on others. And as I think about what you're saying there, it reminds me of one of my favorite books, What Got You Here Won't Get You There by Marshall Goldsmith. Exactly. It's yeah, uh, one of my know, favorite books too. Yeah. Oh, good, good. <laughs> Sometimes we, we think just because we've done something for 15, 20 years and we've gotten great results that, that we should keep doing the same thing. And you did one of the things actually you talk about in the book that people tend to do when they get feedback on something like this. And one of those things is they don't do anything at all with the feedback. And then the other is they tend to try to fake it till they make it. And I'm wondering Mm -hmm. if you could say a little bit about both of those perspectives and and why we tend to do that. Right. And I I think the, the two that you've pointed out are really responses to feedback or criticism, if you hear it, as such, um, and and what they lend themselves to in terms of what drives one versus the other is the type of orientation you have. So if you if you tend to be somebody who is self oriented or what we tend to term as having a strong voice for self, you'll tend to ignore what others are trying to tell you because you feel quite confident and convicted around the way that you're doing things. So particularly if you're getting the results that you think you want to get. On the other hand, the fake it till you make it tends to be a response from those who tend to be others oriented, meaning they have a strong voice for others. They're very in tune to what others expect of them. And so they try to emulate a presence of someone that they see out there rather than really seeking what their authentic voice needs to be or what what they want their presence to be and how it should manifest itself. Neither one of those strategies are recipes for really being a learner and developing yourself and building your presence in a sustainable way. Yeah, and it it reminds me of some of the conversations I've had in the past, too, with clients when they've received some kind of feedback like you and Amy received and I've received before, too. And the response is sometimes, well, I don't want to change who I am. I feel like I'm being asked to be a different person, and I just don't feel like that's very authentic, and I'm not sure I'm willing to do that. And I'm wondering, when you hear that, Muriel, from people, how do you um, how do you respond to that, and what kind of conversation do you have about that kind of response? Right. And, you know, it can always feel, I mean, it feels very uh, like you're being misacknowledged or, or 
not validated when you're hearing something or, or hearing suggestions that folks want you to be different than what you are. And it can cut at the core. And the first thing that I tell my clients is I'm not here to change you. I'm here to help you build some new muscles that quite frankly are already there. You're just not using them. And so it's really about learning how to adapt and learning how do you bring your best self forward for the situation at play. So what I try to get them to do is to disconnect from the adjectives that are being used in the feedback, the be more confident, be more assertive, be more engaging, and the list goes on, and get them to focus much more on what is the outcome that they're looking to achieve? What is it that they want others to experience from them after they've interacted with with them? And what do they want to experience for themselves? How do they want to feel walking out of that meeting or that presentation? If we can figure out what the outcome looks like, if we can really nail what you want to feel like at the end of the day, then we can peel back the onion and figure out the actions and behaviors to get you there. So disconnecting from the adjectives often helps because I feel like people, when they get, when they hone in on the adjectives, they stay stuck there and they're not able to really make some actionable sense out of it. And so it's very much a begin with the end in mind, uh, figure out where you want to go first and then back in later once you figured that out of what are the tactics and strategies you might use to get there. Yeah, that's exactly it. And and to continue the analogy you used about building muscles, I, I almost think about it's like going to the gym and working out and and you know working on muscle groups you don't normally work out. It it's not that you're changing who you are, but it's that if you do that consistently over time, you just give yourself more flexibility and more capability to do the things you want to do physically. And it, it sounds like this is the same thing here. It's not, we're, cha- we're not changing the core of who we are. We're just giving ourselves more tools to interact with others. That's right. And it's the tools, it's the tools that are aligned with the outcome that they want to achieve, right? So, you know, for example, if I have a client where the feedback comes back that they don't, that, that they seem angry all the time, or they seem too intense, And the reason that they're getting that feedback is because this person tends to yell or always has a serious face and never cracks a smile. You know, I'll ask my client, is your intent to be, uh, to to make it clear that you're angry? Is your intent to demonstrate a level of intensity? And if they say yes, then I tell them, well, then we're done because you're, you're accomplishing that. But if they say, no, actually, that's not how I want to come across, not all the time. There are moments where I want to share that, but there are moments where I I want to be engaging. I want to make sure that people feel a certain level of relatability to me. Then let's look at what actions and behaviors you need to demonstrate to tie it more with the feeling of relatability rather than the feeling of anger. Got it. So the word coming up for me then is congruency around that. If um, whatever, what the message that I intend to send, the presence I intend to send is what generally people are receiving. And if that's, if that's there, great. And if it's not, then that's where the adjustment needs to be. Right. And, and what we want to leave every client or person with is what are the choices that I have at my disposal in terms of what choices can I make that will lead or increase the probability that my, my actions and behaviors will be congruent with that outcome. And similarly to the gym example that you use, it is about conditioning yourself in different areas in order to be able to get there. Yeah, the, uh, the old, if you don't use it, you lose it philosophy right. on, on, on doing all these things. Okay, good. I think one of the other frustration points I've, I've certainly heard from clients over the years, and even friends and family members is, 
uh, you know, I've gotten this feedback from a manager or a peer or someone who cares about me, and I, I and I know it's well intended, but the feedback's very vague. It's something like, well, you need to show up differently, or you need to fit in, or you need to have better presence, and it's not very. I think a lot of times people don't feel like it's very actionable, and they walk away from the conversation kind of scratching their head like, what did I just hear? I know there's something I need to do differently, but I don't know where to start. How do you help people and, and, and or advice you have for us on how, to, how do we parse that down and just start to figure out like, what, what am I hearing and what does it mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the first place to start is to give people the benefit of the doubt when they're giving the feedback. Presence is actually one of the hardest areas to give feedback on because it it does cut at the core of who the person is or the perception of who the person is. And it can often feel subjective. So I think, you know, there was a time where I will admit, you know, I I would blame the people giving the feedback and say, oh my gosh, why can't they be more specific? But if they don't quite know what it means and know how to articulate it, then it's hard to, to actually give the feedback in a constructive and productive way. So I think number one is give, give the benefit of the doubt to the person who is actually giving the feedback, that they're, they're well-intentioned, even though it might not be coming out clearly. I think the second piece is to do the drill down on the feedback, right? It's not enough to just stay in the, um, or accept feedback as, you know, you need to tone it down, or you need to toughen up, or you need to show up better, but specifically ask, well, what would it look like if I showed up better? What would you expect to see from me? What is it that I'm doing or not doing that's leading to your impression that I'm, I'm, I'm weak in this meeting? Or what is, what is it that I'm doing or not doing that's making you feel like I am tough on people and that I need to, to be a bit more relaxed around them so that they can get to the actions, right? They can get to the actions. They can get to the visible things that they're experiencing, which are things that you can actually work with then. So asking for examples of some specific situations um, can help to, to really get, get more clarity for both parties on exactly what, especially for us, what we can change. Yeah, I think examples of situations, but even further than that, what are the specific actions that I'm doing or not doing? I'll give you an example, right? One of the places that we get feedback on clients, and even when we conduct the programs, I'll ask people, what, you know, what do you see in people who you think exude effective leadership presence. And one of the main ones that we hear is, oh, they're confident. And, and I'll ask, well, what, what's behind that? What is it that they're doing that gives you the impression that they're confident? Because all confidence is, is an impression. Mm-hmm. It's a feeling that they're leaving you with. But the act of confident is not there. It's not a verb. So what are they doing? And when you start drilling down, they'll say things like they speak in a very clear and concise way. Okay, great. So being succinct and concise is something that helps provide an impact in terms of confidence. Or they'll say they maintain eye contact. Okay, well, that's an action. They use a voice projection where you can actually hear them. Great, that's an action. They participate in meetings. Great, that's an action. They make decisions. That's an action. A lot easier to work on those actions that I just listed than the overall umbrella of be more confident. I mean, who doesn't want to be confident? Most of my clients for the past 45, 50 years have been trying to be confident. It's not that they don't want to. They don't have a clear sense of what the actual actions and behaviors are that will get them there. I love that. That's such practical advice. Uh, Good. So, uh, you know, one of the 
the phrases you use in the book, both of you, is um, signature voice. And uh, the reason the book came on my radar screen originally is one of our mastermind members said that developing their signature voice was was one of the things that they really valued out of the out of your book, and that was really helpful to them in their career. And I, I'm wondering if you could tell us more about how do you see signature voice, and and what are the elements of a signature voice that that we can start to consider more deeply. Right. So the name or the nomenclature signature voice came to us is really representing what an effective leadership presence feels like. It is somebody who we feel not only has a voice, but it's signature to them. And when you think about what a signature is, a signature is a mark which is unique to every individual Um, And yet it makes an impression. So especially if you think about old school signatures, when we actually use a pen and a paper uh, rather than electronic signatures, that pen makes an impression on that paper. And yet it's unique to the person who actually wrote that signature. Well, we every day as leaders do the same thing. We show up in a way that hopefully is unique to us. And at the same time makes an impression that's relevant to their, their, our stakeholders. And so when we think about what effective leadership presence is, it's doing what a signature does. Um, a, 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 an effective leadership presence does two things. Number one, it makes an impression through the value that you bring to the table. And that value can be as big as, you know, the results that you drive in an organization to your ability to get your point of view in a clear and concise way. Uh, But what an effective leadership presence also does is beyond make an impression and and being unique to you is it connects with its stakeholders and you do so in a way that's relevant to those stakeholders. So like a signature, a leader who has presence is able to both demonstrate their value in an authentic way that's unique to them while at the same time connect to their stakeholders by being able to understand and respond to them in a way that's relevant for them. And that really helps in terms of moving two levers, in terms of exuding a leader who's both credible as well as exuding a leader that's relatable. And those are really the two things that people look for in every leader. Credibility and relatability. Relatability. And, And by the way, credibility and relatability might look very different from organization to organization. And so this is why it's important to understand that particularly the connecting the stakeholder piece is it's within the context in which you work. What might make me relatable in one context might make me unrelatable in a different context. Well, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier of we want to be authentic to who we are. And at the same time, we also want to be adaptable to different situations because uh, the executive presence we might show with one customer Maybe totally, maybe not appropriate or, or or very different with the next meeting with the next customer in the next situation, just because of who that stakeholder is and and what they expect and what they're wanting to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. So, and and again, it's not um, necessarily being a chameleon because you're still grounded in your your values, your principles, your point of view, but it's not completely abandoning that there are others in the room that you need to to convey that to in a way that that's going to work for them. Yeah, yeah, no I I, I can see there's so much of a um of an art of how to navigate that and I'm um as when you're working with people Muriel and they're starting to and they're getting that appreciation of the different contexts 
what are some of the tactical things that you will do or to help people to really frame those different perspectives in order in order to really address different stakeholders? Sure. Um, so a big part of this is really understanding what are the levers that they can pull. And I'll take it back to, again, the gym metaphor that you use. We often talk to our clients about conditioning themselves to show up with signature voice, right? It's, it, these are things that you work on and that there are three areas of conditioning your presence, just like an athlete conditions themselves uh, in three areas. Um, likewise, as a leader, you need to condition yourself in three areas. And those three areas are one, your mental conditioning, which is what we call your assumptions, what's the mindset that you bring in to any given situation. Number two is your skill conditioning. So what are the skills that you bring to bear? And in the game of leadership presence, the skills are the communication skills. What communication strategies do you have at your disposal and which ones are going to work for the situation that you're in? And then the third is your physical conditioning. And your physical conditioning is what is your physical energy exuding? Uh, and is it, again, one that will fully demonstrate both your credibility and your relatability in this particular circumstance? And that has to do with your nonverbals, your appearance, even where you visibly are. So it's really looking at all three of those levers. And again, beginning with the end in mind, what is the outcome you're looking to achieve in terms of how you want to experience yourself how you want others to experience you. And given that outcome, how, how do you prepare mentally, communication strategy-wise, as well as physically, to show up in a way that's congruent with that outcome, right? Oh, got it, so got it. If, I, if I want to show up as being engaging, then mindset-wise, you know, I better start thinking that the material is interesting <laughs> rather than boring. Yeah. Um, communication-wise, I might not want to do all the talking, but also ask some questions. Um, and listen in order to have the audience feel engaged. And physically, you know, I probably want to have more proximity to my stakeholder and hold eye contact and have gestures and have a facial expression that's welcoming rather than standoffish. So all three of those things are then aligned with the eventual outcome of hopefully people feeling, leaving like I was engaged and they were engaged as a result as well. I love uh, this model because it's 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 simple, but it's also really profound. It's uh, one of those things that I think any of us can walk into just about any meeting and start thinking about of what are the assumptions that I'm making, what strat, what communication strategies am I going to use in this situation, and then energy and how I show up. Yeah, and and, and yeah. I'm, I'm I'm curious too because I I I noticed you mentioned in the book that sometimes when we're talking about executive presence, there tends to be an over fo- or, or an over focus on physical presence and body language and, and those kinds of mm-hmm. things. Um, uh, tell me more about that. What is the mistake that people make with with uh, getting too concerned about physical and body language? Well, I, you know, I think that it's people are overly concerned with it, quite frankly, because it's the easiest thing to grasp, right? It's the tangible piece. Um, and then after that, it's the communication piece where people tend to stay away from because they don't realize how critical it is. And then it's actually the one that's that's the most difficult muscle to work out is the mindset and the mental, right? The the metaphor that I use with um, a lot of my clients, and they don't particularly like it, but it's, you know, when you try to lose weight, you know, people think, oh, well, I just need to eat less. But at the end of the day, if you really want to lose weight in a sustainable way, it's a mental shift. It's a mindset shift. You have to really look at what is my mindset as it relates to food, rather than let me just, you know, eat something different, which is the physical piece. 
So you could, you could work on just the physical, uh, but it will only get you but so far. It will get you past the first impression. If when you open your mouth, what you say, which are the communication strategies, if that's not aligned with the physical, then the presence question breaks down right there. And over time, you know, if your mental conditioning, if your mindset is not aligned with physically how you're showing up or even how you're talking, then people see right through it. And it also is ultimately what leads to burnout for you because it's just not sustainable. Yeah. And it's more of the fake it till you make it because it's not really the holistic way of approaching it. It's more of the, it's just the physical, the window dressing pieces. Right. You got it. Yeah. Uh, That assumptions piece really sounds so critical to me. Um, I was wondering if maybe you could share an example of what's a what's a time with a, a client or someone you've worked with that you've seen change or do something around just how they were framing assumptions of going into situations and and what was the change in their thinking that really led to the result yeah i mean you know every every client is different i i get some who sort of get it right away and who are ready for the change so the soil is is fertile and and they're they realize that they need to adapt their thinking in order to get there. And I have others who go through the motions. They do the physical and they do the skills, um, but the mindset hasn't really shifted. And, and then you see a breakdown, you know, two months later. You know, at the end of the day, I try to explain as much as possible to my clients, you know, what's necessary to have the impact that they said they'd like to have. And, and all I can do is sort of support them to get there, but that ultimately it's their choice. So I really try to list up to them that this is a choice that they're making. It is a choice that they're making. Even if it's a choice by default, it's still a choice. And until they become conscious of practicing what different choices they have at their disposal, so becoming aware of those choices, and then actually making a choice that's more congruent with the outcome, they're going to keep on getting the results that, they, that they're having. Then I just go back to the drawing book and say, you know, what are the results? So when all else fails, I go back to trying to define what are the results, because that's really what should drive this whole thing. Yeah. And speaking of driving things forward, Muriel, I know one of the uh, the things I'm always thinking about from a leadership development standpoint is just our, our own thinking and our own assumptions and how we're moving forward in our own careers. And I'm just curious uh, for you, uh, I, li- I like to often ask our guests at the end of a conversation, um, what's something that you hold true today or you believe today that you didn't believe or maybe even weren't aware of five years ago in your professional work? Oh, uh, you know, that the impact we want to make is all up to us, right? The impact is up to me. And so if I see myself as small, then I will live small. Uh, if I see myself as big, then I will live big. And the impact is the same, the same thing. So, and how that plays out in my career is, you know, I've, I've been in this line of work now close to 15 years. And I'd say that every couple of years, I, I, I redefine what the end game is. And I redefine it in a way that not only keeps me motivated, but certainly makes this a shift in terms of the impact that I, I'd like to have on others. I love that perspective of uh, thinking big and playing big out there, and uh, it's 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 so true, right? <laughs> our mental right. our mental framework of how we approach these things. Uh, Muriel, I really appreciate your time, uh, your wisdom on this. The book is called Own the Room, and I know there's a bunch of resources on your website as well too. Um, can you tell folks about where to go if they'd like to uh, learn more in addition to picking up the book? Absolutely. So we do have a ton of resources on the website, uh, and you can find all of those at www.paravispartners.com. 
Well, we'll have links to all of that in the show notes and to the weekly leadership guide for folks. Uh, Muriel Minya Wilkins is the co-author with Amy Sue of Own the Room, Discover Your Signature Voice to Master Your Leadership Presence. Muriel, thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Muriel. And speaking of presence, I'm going to be present in South Florida this week, and I'm putting together an informal meetup for listeners uh, this week on the evening of Tuesday, November 22nd, 2016 in the Fort Lauderdale area. So if you are in or near South Florida and in the Fort Lauderdale area or just going to be there this week, I would love to connect with you. If you'd like details, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash Florida, and you'll find all the information there. Again, that's uh, this Tuesday, November 22nd. Coachingforleaders.com slash Florida is where to go if you're going to be in the area. I'd love to connect with you personally and uh, get a chance to say hello. And uh, for everyone else, take a moment to, if you haven't already, activate your free Coaching for Leaders membership. It is by far the best way to get access to the weekly leadership guide, which always includes the show notes for every episode, including this one that'll come to your inbox on Wednesdays. Normally, it'll come a little earlier this week with the holiday coming up here in the States, uh, but you can get access to that by going to coachingforleaders.com slash join. And when you join, in addition to all the other membership benefits that you'll get with the free membership, you'll also get immediate access to my brand new free 10-day audio course. That's titled 10 Ways to Empower the People You Lead. And the only way to get that is through the free membership. And if you'll give me 10 minutes a day for 10 days, it will provide you with the most immediate practical actions to become a better leader. I have gone in the archives of the Coaching for Leaders episodes and all the experts that have been on the show in the last five years and pulled out 10 of the most important skills I think you need to empower others. Again, you can get access to all of that at coachingforleaders.com slash join. And uh, a few related episodes that may be helpful for you in the context of today's conversation on executive presence. Uh, back on episode 188, I had James Whitaker on the show. He talked about the art of stage presence and how uh, our presence on stage can help us to deliver a message more effectively. Lots of great ideas in that episode. Check it out, episode 188. Also, episode 196, Marshall Goldsmith was on the show, one of the top, uh, probably the top coach in the world, talking about his most recent book, Triggers, Creating Behavior That Lasts. Goldsmith uh, had a, is a just a master at helping leaders change behavior, and we had a great conversation on that show on exactly how to do that tactically. And then finally, episode 220, How to Find the Right Voice. Uh, Laura Sicola was on the show, and we talked about utilizing your voice in order to get a message across. So again, episode 220. All of those are at coachingforleaders.com slash the episode number. Next week, I welcome Mindy Dana to the show. She's going to be here to teach us all about the stages of adult development and what that means for leaders. It's a great conversation. I look forward to sharing it with you. Have a fabulous week and see you next Monday. Take care.